Welcome to Go Green Radio, brought to you by Covanta Energy. Reduce, reuse, recycle, rethink renewable energy and energy from waste. This program will help start you thinking about how to protect our world and its important resources. Now here's the host for Go Green Radio, Jill Buck. Welcome to Go Green Radio, everybody. I am thrilled that you could join us because we have a really important topic, something that maybe has never been so much on the minds of the American workforce. And I think internationally, this is true as well. I mean, we've been talking about things like sick building syndrome and unhealthy indoor air quality for many, many years. But now, it's a matter of life and death. I mean, we are talking about a pandemic that is an aerosol. And so today we're going to talk about healthy buildings and how to create them in the midst of a pandemic. And we've got two amazing subject matter experts joining us today. We have Sarah Neff, who's the Senior Vice President of Sustainability for Kilroy Real Estate. And we have Ben Stapleton, who's the Executive Director of the U.S. Green Building Council's Los Angeles chapter. And they're going to be talking about some of the things that they're doing in their professional life and with their colleagues to address this ever important issue. How do we bring people back? How do we create a healthy indoor uh, working space uh, to live and, and work and go to school? So without further ado, I'm really excited to bring Sarah on. Welcome to Go Green Radio. Sarah, thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I'd love to begin by having you talk to us about your company's commitment to sustainability and maybe the most Mm -hmm. important thing, how that commitment benefits your clients. I would love to. So my company, Kilroy Realty Corporation, has uh, been very focused on sustainability um, and healthy buildings uh, for the last decade. And uh, we have, for example, committed to operating on a carbon neutral basis um, by the end of this year. Um, and in addition to having, you know, best in class healthy buildings. So um, our tenants are benefiting from a lower um, energy cost um, for, for their buildings. So they're paying less on a monthly basis for things like energy, gas, um, water, um, maybe even uh, trash and recycling, depending on the jurisdiction. Also, we're really committed to healthy buildings. So we're testing the air in the buildings. We're modifying ventilation rates to ensure um, that the air uh, is there to maximize productivity. We know there's a lot of scientific research that says that air quality and productivity are really, really closely linked. And so we want to make sure that people are as productive as possible in the spaces, and we have the technology and teams deployed to do it. I love that. And I think that, you know, when we dive into some of the particulars, some of the specifics, um, you know, I'm I'm really excited to hear exactly how you do that. And Ben, I want to welcome you to the show. Um, In May of this year, right in the midst of the pandemic, um, the USGBC's LA chapter launched the Healthy Buildings Alliance. Um, And I'm curious, was that in response to the pandemic or, or was it something that you had in the works for a little while? Uh, thank you for, for having me today, Jill. Um, it's, a, it's a great question, and it wasn't a response to the pandemic for us, although I think it really highlighted uh, the reasons that we, we started the program and made it even even more urgent to get things going sooner rather than later. Uh, for us, uh, this program was really the result of about a year of really thinking through how do we make healthy buildings more accessible for everyone? Um, you know, a lot of the certifications that are out there today 
they can be complex. You know, they can be expensive, especially for a small company or a small to mid-sized building. And so we want to come up with, with a framework, really, that anyone could use to engage in creating healthy space. Uh, we really think it's, that's part of, of the discussion around equity and, you know, as well in terms of making that accessible. And so what we created through the Alliance is really a commitment, not a certification. It's a commitment to five principles around uh, building and occupant health uh, that we felt would really start people on a journey that could lead to, to you know, certifications later on, could lead to ultimately um, more productivity, more health for the occupants. And I love the idea that it's an alliance, you know, meaning a place where, you know, people who are not perfect, people who are trying to get this right can talk to each other, share best practices. And we're going to dive into the details of that alliance and, and how you've set it up in a little bit. But Sarah, you know, a lot of people are trying to get their workforce back in the office, back to work. Mm-hmm. Um, and cleanliness is a is a, is a huge big deal. I mean, I'm a clean freak. I would have loved it if that was always <laughs> the uh, the way we were. But what steps has Kilroy, your real estate company, taken to ensure clean spaces while also maintaining a focus on sustainable solutions? Right. Um, yes. And this is terribly important. So again, it comes back to, to the right people using the right technology. Um, and I think people tend to get only focused on the technology, and we're doing a lot of that as well, you know, using um, UV to sanitize high-touch spaces, for example, a lot of robotic UV cleaning happening in bathrooms right now, for example, moving to fully, you know, touchless elevators, we're doing major elevator retrofits so that you don't have to touch those and doorknobs and whatnot. Um, But it's also about uh, the janitorial staff, Um, and Ben and I have been working for many years on the U.S. Green Building Council of Los Angeles chapter's really successful um, green janitor education program. So um, throughout Southern California, all of our janitors have gone through this program, and they, it teaches them both how to clean for health as well as for you know hygiene as well as for uh, sustainability. And so we, we love this program. It's about 30 hours of training for the janitors. There's a midterm, there's a final, there's graduation um, celebration at the end. Um, and through that, they really learn how to use the not waste resources to achieve um, high, high standards of cleanliness and health. Um, and then you couple that with the right cleaning chemicals and you have a really great program that maximizes health and sustainability. We're very proud of our janitors and um, the important contribution they make to health in our building. Oh, that's fantastic. And and I did check out that program on the on the website, and it really looked like the participants enjoyed it as well. I mean, they were smiling ear to ear yes. with certificates. Mm-hmm. And so um, I think mm-hmm. that's, that's tremendous. Uh, ben, you know, you talked about some of the, the principles that are part of the Healthy Building Alliance. Um, and I would love for you to talk to us about indoor air quality monitoring, because that's one of the principles, but it's also something that the average person that's tuning in and listening to us today may not know a lot about. So what is the best way to monitor our indoor air quality? No, it's a, it's a great question. And, and I feel like indoor air quality is just one of those things that, you know, all of us sort of, sort of assume in a certain state, but when we dive into it, we, we learn so much more. And, you know, it's, it's pretty eye-opening. People spend uh, about 90% of their time in enclosed spaces. Um, you know, indoor air quality can sometimes be three to five times worse than, than outdoor air quality, uh, especially at a time where we focus so much on, you know, outdoor air quality 
you know, the smoke we've experienced and, and um, you know, the pollution from, from cars, uh, it's important for us to focus on what's going on inside of our spaces as well. Uh, and oftentimes the, the, the fact that is worse can be driven by uh, equipment that's not maintained as regularly as it should. Uh, we have off-gassing from a variety of materials and cleaners. Uh, and so uh, there can be a variety of adverse health effects from indoor air pollutants that can be short-term or long-term. And these come from things like volatile organic compounds or VOCs uh, and other compounds that they get into the atmosphere. So in looking at how to, to, to best monitor that, you know, really something I, I think that's been interesting, and this is just sort of the, the tale of technology over the years, is that pricing has really gone down pretty dramatically on indoor air quality sensors over the last two to three years. Um, they've also gotten more accurate. There was a lot of issues with calibration for many of those sensors for, for years. Uh, but now you can get a sensor in sort of that 300 to $500, $600 range that actually provides really good data. And a lot of them have a great system now for calibrating it once a year where you can mail the sensor in and they mail it back to you. Uh, and just like everything today, we have apps on our phone and can get that real-time information. And mm-hmm. I'm just a big believer that once you have that sort of transparency, it really changes your behavior in ways that can have long-term impacts. Exactly. It's, you know, making decisions based on data. And, you know, I, I work in the green school space. Uh, in addition to doing Go Green mm-hmm. Radio, I'm the founder and CEO of the Go Green Initiative. And we work with schools from sea to shining sea, all 50 states. And, you know, this is, I, I've been talking about indoor air quality since I started this in 2002. And all of a sudden now I'm really popular <laughs> because, um, you know, schools that weren't really into this are really into it now. So, um, you know, I think it's, it's, the time is perfect. Sarah, when the Healthy Building Alliance was announced, um, I, I read the press release, it was amazing, and you were quoted as saying the following, <laughs> a recent study indicated that a $20 per square foot investment in healthy building upgrades can lead to a $129 per square foot value in commercial office buildings. And we believe building owners need this information to make wise investment decisions in their assets. We look forward to partnering with the USGBC LA on this important initiative. I would love for you to spend a little time talking talking to us about the types of investments in healthy building upgrades you were talking about and how you calculated that return on investment. Great. Um, I would love to. So um, the investments sort of are in uh, two different uh, categories. One is the um, is like the analog and the digital. So um, those investments are in things like opening up our stairwells. Um, you know, studies have shown that, you know, people who take two flights of stairs a day um, avoid most uh, average adult weight gain. Um, and that's, but opening stairwells is also great for reducing elevator crowding. And as we're trying to help people stay at a distance in, um, in the times of this pandemic, that's really helpful. So easy enough to open up a stairwell. There's some security issues with key cards and whatnot, and we put in some fun graphics, and that's great. Um, I mentioned um, elevator upgrades to touchless, um, bipolar ionization cleaning um, in the um, in the air that circulates through the building, in addition to the UV cleaning in the janitorial. Um, there's a lot of focus on basically just everything becoming uh, becoming touchless, and for also uh, beefing up the the backbone of um, of our IT information technology um, to enable more successful working at home. So that's on the so that's that's one side of it, but a lot of it is getting more data. So as Ben mentioned, it's those air sensors. Um, we're excited to be really, um, really diving into air sensors right now because typically 
even really great building owners come in and they do an air quality test once a year. Well, it's mm-hmm. not like you take the temperature in the space once a year, right? <laughs> um, and so you really want to be able to calibrate um, building, um, you know, ventilation rates in real time based on what's actually happening on the ground. Um, so that's another major place um, that we are uh, investing. And we also yeah. still believe in the importance of physical activity. So outdoor spaces, beautiful green roof decks and, and um, you know, and ground floor uh, vegetated spaces where people, people can happy, collaborate you know, outside. I mean, happy All really important. Absolutely. Sarah, that's amazing. And I, I want everybody to check out the Kilroy website. There's so much great information out there. We're going to take a quick commercial break, but when we come back, we have so much more with Ben and Sarah on Healthy Building. So don't go away, folks. There's more Go Green Radio right after this. News, opinion, Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%? 43%? Or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Conservation starts with us. Learn about environmental concerns each week when you tune in to Our Wild World with host Ellie Weiss. Our show centers on Africa each week and what's being done to save our wildlife, ecology, and ourselves. However, we'll also discuss what's going on closer to home. And most importantly, we'll let you know what can be done in our own backyards by featuring guest experts and featuring your questions and answers. Listen every Monday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio, everybody. So glad that you could join us. And if you've just tuned in, let me catch you up. Our guests today are Ben Stapleton, the Executive Director of the U.S. Green Building Council Chapter in L.A., and Sarah Neff, the Senior Vice President of Sustainability for Kilroy Real Estate. And we are talking about healthy buildings. And that topic has never been hotter, never been more now then now. So we're talking about some strategies, some principles that building owners can use to safely bring their workforce back into the building. So Ben, I am sure that as the executive 
director of the USGBC's LA chapter, you have been probably having a lot of conversations <laughs> with commercially commercial property owners about how to safely bring people back to work. Talk to us about some of the kinds of things that make people feel safe when they come back to the office. What do they need to see or know about their space to feel safe? No, it's a, it's a great question. And, and, you know, right now, I think people are more aware of the space than they're in than they, they probably have been ever before. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think what people really want to know is that there's a, a plan in place. You know, that, that's what makes us feel safe ultimately. And a lot of the things that, that Sarah has, has mentioned already uh, around, um, you know, proper cleaning techniques and, and ventilation, uh, having separation so that there's identified spaces so that people can create space in an elevator, they can have, you know, one-way pathways in buildings. So, you know, I, I think what makes people feel safe is when they see signage, when they see that there's a plan in place and they see people following procedures and they understand a policy. Uh, and so I, I think that's important right now. And the reality is we're seeing a, a lot of shifts in how people use space. I think we're going to continue to see that as this thing plays out here uh, over the over the months and years to come. Mm-hmm. Sarah, kind of a similar question for you. What are your clients, people who you know lease office space in your properties, asking for from Kilroy that will make them feel safe coming back to the office? Absolutely. Um, and I echo everything Ben said. Um, but what our clients are asking for are two things. One is flexibility. We need flexible spaces. We need spaces where people can rearrange um, their workspaces to, uh, to be distanced and to be able to collaborate when there is a vaccine. They need outdoor spaces, which are safer right now, and they need to be able to come back inside. Um, so lots and lots of flexibility on every area, flexibility in ventilation, flexibility in furniture, flexibility in cleaning schedules, flexibility, um, being nimble, being agile um, is, is the name of the game. But the other thing our clients say is, Kilroy, please don't lose your focus on sustainability because um, there's a lot of um, uh, sort of conflicts between sustainability and the best guidance right now. A good example is we're using a lot of personal protective equipment, that PPE. Well, that's disposable. That's a lot of waste coming from the building. We're really proud of putting our buildings close to public transit, which way fewer people are using right now. And although ventilating our buildings all the time, we are figuring out how to do that in the most energy efficient way. But when you run more air through a building, that uses more energy. Mm -hmm. And so our clients are asking both for the healthiest buildings they can have, but they don't want us to lose focus of those great sustainability fundamentals that sort of drew them to the buildings in the first place. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You know, and I know that a lot of companies, even small companies like my nonprofit, I mean, you know, we want to be in spaces that reflect our values. You know, I mean, the Go Green Initiative wants to be in a space where we can recycle. We want to be in a space where, um, you know, it's energy efficient. Uh, That's part of who we are. And we want to give our money our you know, whatever we're paying for lease um, to a, a property manager that shares our values. And so I get that. Ben, I want to turn to you because um, I'm wondering if you're seeing new technologies that are going to help our buildings become safe for occupancy during the pandemic? No, it's a a good question. And I think we are seeing new technologies, but frankly, I I think we're we're probably better served by focusing more on procedures and on operations and training um, you know, there, there's things have been proven to decrease the risk of contaminants in the space over time. 
And I think we have to just be careful, especially when we're evaluating new technologies, making sure that they're implemented the right way. I think sometimes we have a, a little bit of a knee-jerk reaction to go for the you know, the shiniest marble we see in the batch. Um, mm-hmm. But people have to know how to use those things effectively and be trained to, to use them effectively. And so some of the things that we've seen that, that are the most effective are things that we know are effective and have known that for a long time, making sure that we have proper HEPA filters uh, in all of our HVAC equipment, uh, making sure that, uh, you know, we're using uh, the right types of cleaners on surfaces. I do think touchless uh, entry and, you know, touchless systems are seeing a, a huge increase right now and will for some time. I think uh, a lot of the, the companies that manufacture those are having uh, record years right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's just because we need to reduce the amount of contact that we have on surfaces. So, you know, there may be some new technologies that are involved there, but the reality is a lot of that stuff's been used for some time. Uh, it's just now getting to the market in a, in a more scaled fashion. Um, but I do think some of the real-time monitoring technologies that we're seeing around ventilation specifically, um, monitoring technologies around indoor air quality, those are the types of things that we're seeing um, a, a drive down right now on cost and increased use because it gives people more control and awareness of what's happening. Um, but there's been a lot of talk about you know, different kinds of UV technologies and um, you know people having heat sensors that scan you know lobbies and you know, those things may have a role to play, but I, I, I really feel like if we look more at our procedures, uh, look more at things that are, are tried and true, uh, we'll have better long-term success and, and we won't be spending money on things that we may not be using the right way. Mm-hmm. Well said. Sarah, I would love to kind of shift focus for a moment and talk about your company, Kilroy's um, plans for climate resiliency, because, um, you know, infectious mm-hmm. diseases are expected to, to, to be on the rise as climate changes. And so this may not be the only pandemic we deal with. But talk to us about your plans for climate resiliency and how the pandemic has influenced that goal. Absolutely. So we have uh, had sort of best-in-class resiliency programs for a couple of years, and that, again, gets to to procedures and the right um, equipment on site. So um, for climate resiliency, we are using very sophisticated climate models on physical climate risk from things like extreme weather, extreme heat, you know, wildfire is obviously an important uh, consideration here in California, and making sure that we have the procedures for how to evacuate, what to shut off first, that kind of thing, um, as well as the equipment needed to do that and train teams. So that's, that's how climate resiliency has, um, has, has traditionally been before the pandemic. Um, and while pandemic was sort of a one paragraph thing in the, mm-hmm. in the emergency action plans uh, previously, obviously we've now really expanded that uh, to make sure that there's um, you know, the right kind of you know, PPE, personal protective equipment on site and then making sure that we have, um, you know, all, all the procedures in place we need to um, stop spread immediately. And so that's the thing, uh, for example, when to shut down an office, right? So that's, mm-hmm. that's climate resiliency related to, to a pandemic. You know, at what point um, of exposure does you trigger work from home and in what region and how often and how quickly does everything shut down? So those are the kind of things that um, the pandemic has, um, has layered on to the existing resiliency programs we have, but we really feel like we've reacted um, really well, um, that we kept our teams safe, that we uh, stopped being in the office when we needed to, that we have sort of all the rapid testing availability for anybody who does have to come in. Um, and that's, that's really helped us, you know, stay the course during these very strange times. 
Well, that's that's tremendous. And the fact that you're so proactive, you know, you've got these plans in place and then when something does happen, you can, you know, even grow that understanding, grow that process um, in the midst of, of these things occurring um, is a real testament to um, the the personnel infrastructure and the the brain power behind your sustainability plans for Kilroy. So that's, it's really, really impressive. And I, I will say, you know, I spent a lot of time looking at your company's website, reading through your sustainability report, and, and it is a phenomenal read. And we're going to talk more about that in a little bit, but I would encourage our listeners to get out there on Kilroy Real Estate's website and check out their sustainability plan. It is quite a role model uh, document. Ben, I want to go back to you. Um, you know, I- I'm wondering if you're concerned about water quality in buildings that may have been largely unused for the past few months. No, absolutely. And, and this is a, a really big issue. It's not something we really think about quite a bit because the, the pipes are hidden in the walls. And so we, we tend not to, to think about what's there. But, uh, you know, just kind of the, the old adage about water, right? Stand, standing water is not healthy water. And in a lot of our buildings, we've had systems that just haven't been having the type of, of water circulation and, and movement they would under normal use for some time. And the, and the main concern there is Legionella bacteria, which is you know, pretty much always naturally present in water at low concentrations. And when we have that standing water, uh, that bacteria starts to starts to multiply. And uh, that can cause Legionnaire disease uh, when it's, you know, put into the air. And, and um, that can be a really big issue uh, that, that, frankly, can be fatal at times. I used to think Legionnaire's disease was a thing that I'd always heard about, but no one really had. But I actually uh, had a good friend uh, last year who, who came down with Legionnaire's disease uh, and it put them in the hospital. You know, it's, it's not a joke. And so, uh, Legionella, you know, it typically can occur in, in your um, your hot water systems, your cooling towers, um, even things like like fountains and other standing water. And so, you know, really the way to to control that is is frankly to to flush out those systems, to circulate that water prior to people reentering a building. Make sure make sure you're doing some testing and that you have some some chemical control in the areas that you need to have it uh, to reduce that kind of exposure. Mm-hmm. Well, and even, you know, lead, um, you know, that's, that's something that, you know, I live in Northern California and it wasn't, believe it or not, I mean, I just find this incredible. It was not the law that schools had to test for lead in the water. And lo and behold, when it became the law, um, some schools in my general vicinity actually had a tremendous problem um, with some of their their school sites. And it wasn't, you know, in every building of the same campus, you know, some of the high school campuses have uh, numerous buildings and some of the buildings, fine. Some of the other buildings were several hundred times greater the, the legal limit for, you know, lead in the water. And so um, you wouldn't know that unless you tested for it. And so, um, you know, I'm hoping that this is something that people will consider because everybody's talking about the air quality, knowing that, uh, you know, the virus is an aerosol. But when we go back to work and we go back into these buildings, like what you said, Ben, flushing the water out, doing some testing and monitoring that is really important because I know that a lot of people, um, you know, are using their refillable water bottles these days and they've got to have a place where, that is safe. Um, and, and washing your hands. I mean, you mentioned Legionella. That, that 
you know, if you have showers at work, if you have hot water that you're using even just to wash your hands, I mean, that stuff, um, as you mentioned, is no joke. And it can, it can get into your body in ways that uh, <laughs> we don't really predict. Well, we're going to take a quick commercial break, but when we come back, we have so much more to talk about with Sarah and Ben. So don't go away, folks. There's more Go Green Radio right after this. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%? 43%? Or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Live Fridays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio, everybody. Glad that you're with us today. And if you just joined us, let me catch you up. Our guests today are Sarah Neff, the Senior Vice President of Sustainability for Kilroy Real Estate, and Ben Stapleton, who is the Executive Director of the U.S. Green Building Council's chapter in L.A. We're talking about healthy buildings, but sometimes I feel like the conversations that we have during the commercial break um, are just too good not to share with our listeners. And Sarah, you were telling us is a very personal story if you're comfortable sharing about mm-hmm. why these issues are so important to you and actually I was going to tell you uh, same kind of situation for me as well with my youngest daughter so mm. talk to us a little bit about why this issue is so personal to you yes so um, uh, I had a situation where um, I had a two-year-old and she began um, always been a sicker of her two kids, um, you know, been in and out of the hospital since she was born. Um, but, you know, she started coughing herself to sleep every single night, couldn't couldn't sleep, coughing was horrible, you know, brought her to the doctor, doctor put her on those, you know, breathing masks, mm-hmm. um, you know, breathing treatments, and those weren't working, and they added steroids, and those weren't working, and it just went on for months, and 
for, for those of you who are parents, you know how just having your, when your kids are suffering, you can't help. It's just the helpless feeling. It's so awful. Mm-hmm. Um, and she finally got diagnosed with asthma after about six months of this. And that was the first clue to me, like, oh, my goodness, what if it's not her? What if it's our air quality? Because we live mm-hmm. not far from a busy freeway. Um, and um, because of the healthy buildings work I'd done um, at Kilroy, I, uh, I knew which air filter to buy, um, you know, was able to plug it in at home. And then her coughing was gone in two days and wow. it's never come back. And um, that seems like a happy story in a sense that, yes, we've solved her problem and she's a healthy, happy kid now um, as a six-year-old. But the thing is, is, is I do this for a living. Yeah. <laughs> I do healthy buildings for a living. And yet... Um, it didn't occur to me for months what was causing it. And I think that's the thing that Ben and I are always really struggle with is that people do not think of their buildings as a place that impacts their health. They think of exercise, they think of food, they think of genetic factors, but not buildings, even though buildings are really, really critical to human health. Well said, Sarah. I mean, that is really the crux of it all. I mean, indoor air quality, and there are so many things that impact indoor air quality. And the same thing happened with my youngest. Um, And we were in and out of the emergency room. We had the nebulizer, the whole nine. And Mm, same thing. Our house is very close to the intersection of two major freeways. And that was the issue. So back to healthy buildings. Um, But that's that's Mm -hmm. why, you know, it, it really is personal. And once you know about this, you want to help others. You know, you may solve your own problem at home, which we did as well, but you want to get out there and prevent this from happening to other people. And, you know, Sarah, your company does an outstanding job of quantifying and qualifying sustainability. But before you came to work at Kilroy, there really wasn't a focus on sustainability. And I know that a lot of our listeners work at companies that are not reporting on ESEG metrics, you know, environmental, social, and governance metrics, and they may not have any key performance indicators in place to measure their quote-unquote green initiatives. So talk to us about how you you developed the systems to measure Kilroy's sustainability initiatives? Uh, yes, thank you. Um, I think the important thing to note is that there's no need to reinvent the wheel of sustainability uh, mm-hmm. in real estate. Many people have been working on this for a really long time, um, and there's a lot of frameworks out there to see sort of what should be looked at. So um, for me, uh, I started at Kilroy. Actually, I started with green cleaning, so we had no programs at all. So I started with Okay, we need to understand our energy use. Back then in the dinosaur ages, we were on paper mm-hmm. invoices and we didn't really have an overall understanding of energy spend um, and consumption. So did that while making while shoring up our green cleaning programs to make sure that they met need, which is uh, the um, well-known green building certification um, requirements. But there is um, an important rating system called the Global Real Estate Sustainability Benchmark. Um, and anybody who wants to know any relevant um, key performance indicator on real estate just needs to look there. That's That rating system measures what's important. Um, and I would encourage anybody who is just starting out to look at both what that rating system asks about as well as just the sustainability reports of those of us who've been doing it a long time to sort of see where to get started. So no need to, no need to make it up uh, from the beginning. Oh, that's such great advice. Great advice. Ben, I want to go back to you and the Healthy Building Alliance that uh, your chapter of the USGBC just started in May. Besides monitoring indoor air quality, what are some of the other principles of a healthy building that you've identified for the Healthy Building Alliance? 
Sure, and, and you know, first of all, I also want to make a, a point that just as much as this is about occupant health, um, which we clearly all value, you know, this is also about productivity, uh, and it's about you know companies. I think really investing in their people. Um, you know, people who are, are healthier in their work environment are far more productive. There's there's a lot of data that backs it at this point. They're also uh, about 18% more likely to stay in their job and over 30% more, more positive about their company just in terms of having a healthy space. So just as much as there's a health argument to this, there's an economic development argument to, to this. And so I, mm-hmm. I think it's an important point that, that, that we haven't made yet. And in terms of the, the, the other steps of the Healthy Building Alliance, um, you know, there's, there's, there's probably seven, eight, nine, probably ten different themes we could have included in this, but we chose the five that we felt could make the biggest impact and that would be most accessible for people. So in addition to air quality, there's green cleaning, which you know, Sarah and I have talked a little bit about. Uh, there's having access to nature. Uh, what does that mean? That just means having access to green space, whether that's plants and biophilia indoors or having a, an outdoor green space where people can spend some, some time. Uh, that could be even a, a, a small native garden or it could be a, a space where you're growing some food. There's a, a ton of research that shows that, that getting into nature just for 15 minutes a day can have really positive uh, increases to your mental health. Um, the, the fourth principle is inspiring movement. So just as Sarah was talking about, you know, taking those, those stairs, even just two flights a day, uh, it's about being proactive and inspiring movement with your occupants, making sure they are moving throughout the day. And then the, the fifth item is uh, water testing. And so, you know, one of the underlying themes for us was uh, to create opportunities to get building level data. So, you know, by having indoor air quality monitoring or testing, having water testing, and then uh, one of our underlying principles is having a tenant survey. So, you know, many people actually don't survey their tenants uh, or even their occupants just about their space in particular. And it turns out people actually care probably the most about the things we're talking about here, about indoor air quality, about, about you know, green cleaning, about having that access to nature and, and having light. And so uh, through this, we want to create building level data. And, and because this is a commitment, you know, we're not necessarily telling people what they have to do, uh, but we're saying, please commit to these principles. And people do that. We're helping them get access to this data and understand it. And I'm just a believer that once people have the data and they understand what it means, uh, they will start to make decisions that are in their, their best interests. Mm-hmm. I think that's I think that's a really valid point, and um, and, and I'm excited to see the kind of data uh, that comes out of this Healthy Building Alliance. That's fantastic, Sarah. As I mentioned, I, I geeked out on Kilroy's sustainability report. <laughs> <laughs> it was really cool, um, and I saw that the company created a green office policy in 2019 that requires all your management offices to adopt environmental practices. And I'd love for you to tell us more about that green office policy and how it's going so far. Absolutely. Well, um, this actually is going to get right back to Ben. Um, The green office policy was designed um, to help all of our offices comply with the Los Angeles Green Business um, Certification Program, which is um, an important partnership that uh, the U.S. Green Building Council Los Angeles chapter has with the mayor's office. And there's a lot of best practices in there on the way to have a green office. So we saw this as really helping us you know, walk the walk. Um, it's it's one thing to require our tenants and our base buildings to do all of this, you know, important um, environmental, you know, pro- projects and programs. But if we're not making sure that we're, we're doing that within our own spaces, there's clearly an integrity issue there. And so we saw that gap and we created the policy. And it, um, again, before COVID, um, had us mm-hmm. help avoid things like single-use plastics, more recycling, composting, you know, 
making sure that we're properly disposing of printer cartridges and light bulbs, things that basically what we had found was every office was doing 90% of all the right stuff, but there wasn't an office that was doing 100% of it. And so we wanted mm-hmm. to make sure that that was really streamlined across across all of Kilroy spaces because it also makes the employees aware, yes, this isn't just something we talk about, but is done elsewhere. You know, it's something we all do. Yeah, I think that's that's just the kind of role model leadership, you know, from the front uh, that that inspires people. And I, you know, the time is is right. People want that that kind of thing, and a lot of people are drawn to a workplace that's that gets it and is into it. So I think that's really smart, Ben. You know, back to the Healthy Building Alliance. What are some of the benefits that uh, that folks will gain by joining the Healthy Building Alliance, and and what does it cost to participate? Uh, no, very, very good question. So, uh, in terms of the benefits, I mean, I think one of them that's intrinsic from the beginning is, uh, you know, making a commitment and having someone hold you accountable to that. Uh, you know, tends to tends to mean something uh, for most people, even even in this day and age. And so, part of this is we provide the commitment, uh, we we help you make that commitment, and then we really are with you on this journey uh, for your healthy space. So, uh, we provide an onboarding checklist. Um, you know, we sit down with the folks who've made the commitment, go through the different ways that they can address air quality, green cleaning, access to nature, inspiring movement, and water testing, all the principles. Uh, we have a basic green cleaning plan that will provide them that they can customize to, to their building. Uh, and then we've, you know, for all the, the, the different aspects of this checklist, uh, we've actually uh, built out um, a whole network of local providers uh, that can help people on this journey. So if it's getting access to an indoor air quality sensor, we've negotiated discounts with a host of sensor companies. Uh, so that someone who's part of the alliance can get a discounted sensor. Uh, if it's access to nature, uh, we'll help them look at their space and see where there's opportunities to maybe bring in more biophilia or do some sort of landscape work so that they can have some some outdoor space that could be a garden. And then we have local providers that we've connected with to provide native plants or can do some of that design. Uh, when it's inspiring movement, you know, we've developed some template signage, and then we have some options for uh, either either local classes or, or, or fitness providers for things that can be done inside their space. And with water testing, we have testing companies that we've, we've worked with to develop some discounts. And so all this is really helping people in the journey. Again, we're not telling them what to do, uh, but we're there with them from the beginning. We're helping them on their, on their way. And the pricing is very simple. It's, it's $500 for the first location, uh, $250 for each additional location, and then only $100 uh, per location for a portfolio of 10 or more. All of our pricing is annual. And then one of the things I'm excited about that, that we really developed just in the last month you know, going through this pandemic is uh, we're actually adding on a home office um, component to this where we have a checklist that's just for your home space. You know, everyone sort of got forced into this uh, in March and really thought they were only going to be in their home environment for a couple weeks or maybe a couple months. And the reality is a lot of us are working out of spaces every day that really haven't been designed for that. And so uh, we've developed a separate checklist and we're going to be launching that here soon. And that's only going to be $25 for you to make that commitment to have a healthy home environment to work in, and then we have a specialized checklist and things to help you with that uh, as well. Oh my gosh, I love that so much. I mean, and and what's nice about it is exactly what you said. It's not mandatory. It's not like, you know, you have to meet these criteria or you're not in the in crowd. This is purely a support and and uh, assistance set of resources. Um, and for a lot of folks, you know, they're thinking about their business. They're thinking about, um, you know, whatever services they provide. They're not thinking about 
you know, the operations in such a way that um, they have the time to specialize in this. And so you guys are giving them the shortcut, which I think is just so perfect and, and just so helpful. We're going to take a quick commercial break, but when we come back, we have much more with Sarah and Ben. So don't go away, folks. There's more Go Green Radio right after this. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh, yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. We're talking with Sarah and Ben today about healthy buildings. And Sarah, your company, and that's Kilroy Real Estate, um, has an awesome sustainability report. And as I mentioned earlier, I did geek out and I read the whole thing. And on page 49 of, you know, 70 some odd pages, um, you outline 18 different items that you assess as part of your building health program. And we've already talked about green cleaning, but... You know, what are some of the other criteria for a healthy building that you guys track? Uh, great. I'm happy to answer that. Um, so for us, um, I am not a doctor. Uh, and so I like to uh, really look to um, organizations such as the Center for Active Design and the International Well Building Institute to help me figure out what makes a healthy building. Um, and so uh, there's, there's a lot of different components to it. Um, it. It starts with how you get to the building with your access to transit, basically alternative transportation, anything but just sitting down in a car. Um, we want to encourage that. And I'm somebody who bikes to work myself. Um, and then in the entranceway and on the ground floor, are there amenities that, that, inc- that uh, encourage walking, you know, pedestrian access? You know, is there a way to get to the building except for driving in? Um, and then once we get into the space, yes, we want to make sure there's good air quality. We want sit-stand desks for ergonomics. We want green cleaning. We want mother's rooms. Uh, people don't often think about it, but, um, you know, mothers are a very important part of the workforce. It's very hard to come back to work once you've had a baby, and some of you had two babies while I was working. I know this. Um, we want to make sure that we're supporting mothers and babies um, to enable breastfeeding to happen. Um, roof access and then healthy foods on site. You know, it's, it's no good if you're able to go to the gym, but then the only thing you can, the only thing you can eat afterwards for lunch if you've forgotten your, to bring your food that day is, is junk food. Um, so it really um, spans all aspects um, of buildings, but it's about, it's about being able to be active and healthy in our spaces. 
I love it. And and I really feel like, um, you know, employee retention is a huge, huge issue for a lot of us. And there's mm. just no question that coming to a space that you love to be in every day, when we all get to do that again, um, is a big part of that. It's a big part of, you know, the the joy that people bring to their work. So I love all those ways that you measure building health. Ben, I want to ask you, you know, in the next six to 12 months of this pandemic, um, what do you believe will be the most important things commercial property owners need to do and must do to get Americans back to the office? You know, this is this is a really important question. You know, I think right now we're having sort of a philosophical discussion over, you know, what does the future of work look like? You know, we've, mm-hmm. we've had this big shift in society and you know, I think in so many ways we're we're not going to go back to to what was before. As a as a species, we we tend to move forward, and things just just keep looking a little bit different. And so, most of the data we're seeing says that people are going to keep remote work as a, as a part of their work experience. We're looking at probably a twenty to thirty percent permanent shift in that way. And so, I, I think Sarah hit on a great point earlier about flexibility. You know, I think commercial property owners need to look at how can they create more flexible spaces. How can they be more innovative about how space is used within their assets? Uh, and that ranges from commercial to the retail portions of their assets. You know, how do we think about our buildings a little bit differently? And then I come back to having a plan. You know, Sarah mentioned IWBI or the International Well Building Institute earlier. Uh, they have a fantastic checklist around building reentry, uh, and they spend a lot of time with healthy building experts, kind of looking at how do you prepare your building to receive people again. And so I think having that plan, having the transparency around that plan and communicating that is very important. Uh, But I think also we need to look at how do we evolve out of this? You know, how do we be more flexible with our spaces? Uh, How do we utilize our space in a way that still allows for collaboration uh, and those human connections? That's the reason we went to office space in the first place because we we were more productive at times when we were together and and we need to get back to, to maximizing that. Yeah, I, I know. I, for one, you know, I, I love being at home. Uh, it's It has many benefits, but I miss being in the same space with my coworkers. There's a, there's a vibe, there's a culture uh, to our organization that's just lost. I mean, you can't, they're just some jokes you can't tell over Zoom. And I'm not talking about anything inappropriate, just fun stuff, inside jokes, things that happen, you know, in the office that make you gel with your coworkers. And so, you know, I, I do hope that we're able to get back there. I'm sure Kilroy and other real estate <laughs> property owners are also hoping that because um, that's, you know, that's a big part of your business, building occupancy, Sarah. Do you think that the pandemic will ultimately be seen as a catalyst or a set? back for the green building movement. I'd love for you to explain your thoughts on that. Sure. I really hope to see it as a catalyst. And that's because it is hopefully making the invisible visible. You know, as we mentioned earlier, buildings are really invisible to us, even though they have major impacts on our health, they have major impacts on the environment. As you know, buildings represent 40% of U.S. carbon emissions. And yet it's just not something that people think about, but they're thinking about buildings now. They're thinking about buildings because the pandemic um, has an aerosol transmission um, vector, and all of a sudden buildings are now a thing we are thinking about, not just as a place to go, to work, to eat, to play, to sleep, but as a a place that has has impacts that we're not seeing. And I really hope that thinking after the pandemic uh, sticks around um, and really puts buildings at the forefront, both of the health and of the environmental movement. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Well said. You know, Ben, we're speaking here on an internet talk radio station, so we have listeners from all over the world. What advice do you have for the average person out there who is worried about whether or not it's safe to go back to the office? Uh, you know, it's a great question, and I think you know we have we have to go back at some point. But the way to do that safely is is to have a plan. It's to look at the science. It's to look at the things that we know can reduce the risk of contamination. Uh, you know, we've we've all heard a lot about masks uh, uh, in the last few months, and there's a reason because they they are effective. Uh, I saw an interesting article in the Economist not too long ago that that said we should pay uh, every American about fifty four dollars a day to wear a mask because that that's the economic benefit of them reducing the risk of transmission. Um, and so uh, we need to, to get back to those simple principles. Uh, we need to get back to, to having a plan with how to reenter our space because it will be safe if we follow that. It will be safe if, if we have the ventilation we need, if we have the cleaning we need, uh, we have the touchless surfaces and the other things that, that we know can be effective. Um, and, you know, this is going to be here for some time. And so we need to think about you know, how do we be more resilient in the face of this crisis? Uh, how do we how do we snap back and continue to adapt? And that applies just for much as much for us. And when it comes to sustainability uh, going forward, I mean, this, these things are so interrelated. I think you know this is one of the things we've learned coming out of this experience is uh, you know whether it's issues around the pandemic or issues around equity, uh, sustainability is is right at the center of all of this. You know, to do, be truly sustainable. Uh, we have to be planning for these kinds of issues and planning, thinking through how can we continue to evolve uh, and um, be smart about it going forward. Absolutely. Well said, Ben. Sarah, we've got just a little over a minute left in the show. Um, what mm-hmm. final thoughts would you like to leave with our listeners today? Well, obviously, I hope everyone is staying very safe and very healthy um, and that they are um, able to make sure that their home environment is as healthy um, as their office environment will. I would encourage people to be proactively talking to the people who own and manage their office buildings when they do go back uh, to make sure that they're following um, the latest guidance in health. I think only when we ask these questions uh, does change happen. And the same uh, environmentally. When you go back to work, ask what the Energy Star score of the building was before the pandemic. You know, you can ask about, um, you know, does the ventilation rate in this building need to the CDC and WHO guidance? Ask those questions, get the dialogue going. Landlords often don't make movements until they hear tenants asking. And so I encourage, I encourage your listeners to ask these questions to make sure that our buildings are as healthy and as um, environmentally um, uh, beneficial as possible. Oh, that was the perfect way to end the show. Icing on the cake. Sarah and Ben, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for the great work you're doing. This was a great conversation. Thank you as well to our listeners for tuning in. I'm so glad that you were with us today. We're going to be here same time, same place next week with more Go Green Radio. Until then, have a wonderful week and do something in your life to go green.
you get some terrific ideas from today's show? Please join us for more next Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time. It's Go Green Radio with Jill Buck here on Voice America. Go Green Radio is proudly sponsored by Covanta Energy, a leader in providing renewable energy solutions for a cleaner world. Visit www.covantaenergy.com for more information. We'll see you here next week.